Hey, this is Ray West. You listen to my friend Jay Scott on the Hooks Rock Podcast. Peace, y'all. Everybody, it's Jay Scott. This is another episode of the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast, now part of Pantheon Podcast Network. Hope you're doing well out there. Hope you're staying safe and staying healthy. I say the same thing at the beginning of every episode, and hopefully one day soon I won't have to say that anymore, or it won't have the meaning that it does now because it's just a crazy time out there. I know. Numbers are decreasing all over the country, which is a good thing, but there's still a lot of worry. There's still a lot of unknown, but we're here for you. We're here talking music. We're here to be the escape for you to talk some music commentary and talk some new music. And I'd like to welcome in our next guest, which is a band that I absolutely, absolutely am stoked about. And the band is The Black Moods. And the guest is lead singer, lead guitarist, Josh Kennedy. What's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thank you very much for doing this. I'm a huge fan of the band, and I'm really excited to get to know more about you and what you guys are all about. Awesome, yeah. Well, uh, let's go at it. <laughs> well, we always start the same way every time we have a, a brand new guest on the show, and that is the essence of the podcast, which is just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked you on rock and roll. What was it for you? Oh, man. Tuffy. Uh, you know, I grew up around it. My dad was always playing at his what he was in a band all growing up. So I just remember being around it since the time I was two to whenever. So I was exposed to a lot of everything from, you know, when I first, I first learned uh, midnight, uh, midnight special by CCR. That was like the first three chords my dad taught me. But I think the, the first time I like bought my own record, it was CD, you know, uh, good times, bad times by Led Zeppelin. When I heard that intro, just blew my 12-year-old mind. It's, it's pretty impressive. It's such a powerful intro with the, you know, the drums and the guitar, and it's just, you know, it's just, it's so intense, right? And and at that time, yeah. you know, the drums were not played like that. 
No, and he only had one kick drum pedal too, which is I just couldn't believe that a foot could move that fast. But I mean, it's a strong second because I saw Wayne's World in uh, in uh, the theater when it came out, when I was a little kid or whatever, and uh, that's the first time I heard Foxy Lady. So when Garth was dancing in that scene in Wayne's World, yeah. I, I hit, hit my friend. I'm like, what is happening right now? And he said, oh, it's Jimi Hendrix. And I had no clue. So, And that was about the same time I discovered both of those. You know, it's interesting you mentioned, oh. too, with the Creedence Clearwater Revival. Um, my son, who's 16, is really into rock and roll. And he loves a lot of the new stuff, loves you guys. And he loves CCR. And he's so proud that he has all the CCR albums on CD. He's always like, Dad, check out the stack, man. <laughs> and I just, I have to keep reminding him that these songs were made in 19, in the late 60s, you know? And here you are in 2021 listening to this band at the age of 16. I said, that is greatness right there. That is stuff of legend. Absolutely. It's, it's pretty impressive. That's, that's also a lot of why, you know, I, I like the, the music means so much because that's going to last a lot longer than I am, you know? So that gives me some kind of comfort in, you know, when you're dead and gone that people can still listen to your, you know, to your voice and your guitar playing and your songs, you know, however many years later, like CCR. I mean, think about that. And I think that band, only was, I think they, they were just, it was a, such a short period and such a, so prolific in those short amount of time because they, they made like two records a year sometimes, you know, if, if not more. That was a whole different animal back in the day, so it's pretty impressive. Yeah, you know, you think about who we just lost too, Eddie Van Halen this past October. And, yeah. uh, you know, the fact that we can still listen to his music means so much. It does help the healing process when we lose, you know, one of our our heroes are, you know, one of the giants in music that we can go anytime we want and we can go listen to, to him play. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a tough one, man. Cause that's one of those guys that just thinks going to be around forever. <laughs> yeah. 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 So where Such did it go? Pioneer. Where did it go from there? You mentioned, you know, CCR and you talked about, you know, Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin. What was the next step in your evolution as an artist? Uh, well, that's, that's, that's about the time I started playing uh, Cocaine by J.J. Kell and Eric Clapton over and over for about two solid years in my bedroom, which uh, my mom can't stand to hear the words cocaine, <laughs> the word cocaine or anything Clapton at this point because I just wore it out when I was a little kid. Uh, so I went to kind of that, and uh, that's when I just locked myself in my room and, you know, when everybody else was out, you know, playing basketball and all that kind of stuff. I just started going nuts on guitar and it was every day after school and I would play up until I'd fall asleep with the thing. And so I could think about it. And then, and then we get to the point to where it's uh fans like Nirvana started coming out and some Temple pilots and counting crows and Jim blossoms. They're all across the board for me. And so I happened to be in my room playing. I, I was listening to time pieces by Eric Clapton over and over again because it was his greatest hit that came out that I stole from my dad. I didn't steal, you know, he got me have it or whatever. But as I was sitting there doing that, the American Music Awards were on and the Jim Blossoms were on there playing Hey Jealousy and so my dad hollered at me. He's like, hey, bub, come in here. That's what my family calls me. It's bub. And they, I come running in there and he said, 
this is a good band. This is a, they write good songs. You can do this. You can, this is something to look forward to and uh, look, you know, there's a little bit of growth just as a songwriter. And so that's when I started getting into songwriting and I really decided that I was going to play guitar for the Jim Blossoms whenever I <laughs> could move out, move out of the small town of Wheaton, Missouri, you know? So that's when we really got into that. And I really, you know, started writing my own songs and that kind of thing. I just, I wasn't so much on the uh, virtuos, you know, like the, like the, cause I love Van Halen and all that stuff, but it, that just seems so far away from anything that I could play, you know, that I really got started diving more into the songwriting aspect of things. So. As far as your palette, you know, and it was developing, what was, what were you looking for? What did you need out of music, you know, to get it, to get influenced? Uh, you know, I can't even tell you because whatever it was, I was feeling since I was two years old. I just remember it just, it just, cause it, you know, I can tell you too, it wasn't because of the chicks or, you know, it wasn't the girls or, or Don't let Gene Simmons hear that. Oh yeah. Yeah, I know. Believe me. I've, I've had a couple of conversations with him and it just, it's shocking because I, I come from a, a genuine place of loving music because it was always around my family. They, my dad, Ben, they always, after their gigs, cause they were weekend warriors, you know, they play Friday and Saturday and they all had day jobs, but they would all re- was rehearse at the house. And so it was just this feeling that I had. And I saw one of the camaraderie between these four, four guys you could just walk into a room and you know they were a band and they were together. You know, you were never by yourself. And so I love that aspect of the band. But as far as the music goes, it's just it's just something that made the way it made me feel like nothing else from I don't, the time I was born until, you know. And all that other stuff comes later for me. It wasn't anything about, you know, really being cool or, or popular or, or, you know, getting a girl. It was, I was content just staying in my bedroom and playing my guitar until my fingers bled. You know, you mentioned Clapton and you mentioned, you know, not really being influenced by, you know, the guys that were playing fast and playing all these different up and, you know, notes up and down the fretboard. As far as that guitar goes, was it tone? Was it feel? What was it? What was, what attracted you to the guitar? All the above. The tones, like, that they were getting, especially, you know, Jeff Beck group and, and all those Zeppelin records. It, it was, it was that way, but it was more of the looseness I liked about it. Cause at some point, you know, some of pages playing, you almost have to be, you're wondering if he was, if he was hitting the right notes or if he was, that's what he was going for. It just kind of spontaneously came out of him. And, and that's what I like. Um, I'm not, I'm not that strong at math. <laughs> so, you know, any kind of music doesn't come to me in, in that way. Mathematically, it comes to me, it just comes out of me. And uh, so it was just, I think it was that overall looseness and the soul behind the way those guys were playing because they were big, big blues guys, you know, into all that, you know, Muddy Waters and B.B. King and that kind of stuff. So, and then that eventually got me into that. You know, I'm definitely... I'm into the blues aspect of the things because of the way the, the, you know, the British rock guys interpreted it for me. Cause I wouldn't have just as been, you know, being a 12, 13 year old kid, I just wasn't going to get into, you know, listening to Howlin' Wolf and BB King and stuff. It took a little bit for it to be, uh, you know, fed to me in a certain way to, to get, but 
all those guys are just delivered with, with you know, soul. That's the way I can they, they jive with it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I've always kind of fallen right in the middle. Like, I love listening to, you know, guys like Eddie Van Halen. One of the first things I ever heard was Eruption as a seven-year-old kid. And I was just mesmerized. And, you know, the guys that came after that, I just, you know, like the George Lynch's and, and, you know, those Randy Rhodes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. But then, you know, growing up in Chicago, blues was always a heavy influence on what I listened to because it was all around all the time, especially in the early eighties and in the late seventies. And, you know, listening to people like Otis Rush and Magic Sam and Muddy Waters and and players like that, you know, really kind of, brought in my palate at a very young age. And even though I always went down that rock path, I always, always fall back to the blues. I always can just listen to that stuff for hours. And it just, you know, anyone that tells you that the blues sounds the same hasn't listened to the blues because it's so different by who's playing it. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And Buddy Guy's one of those cats, too. Oh, Oh, man. No one, bends, no one bends a string like Buddy Guy. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, he's amazing. So as far as songwriting goes, you know, when you when you started to put pen to paper and write lyrics, was there a song that inspired you to write? Uh, you know, as far as being inspired by certain specific songs, uh I don't really know because uh, I, the Jim Blossoms were a big were a big influence on me because once that new Miserable Experience record came out, I was just addicted to that. And they have a song called "Found Out About You" that just lyrically just blows my mind and and uh, the subtlety of it, but the way that paints the picture, that kind of thing that that really turned me on, you know, the most. But then you got songs like "Stairway to Heaven" that is just so, you know, just gargantuan seeming. It's I can't say there was like one song lyrically because my favorite songs are from one into the other. Tom Petty, huge influence on us, you know, um, running down a dream was one of those songs that I immediately latched onto when it came out. And, um, we did a cover actually of, uh, I need to know by Tom Petty. And it's such a, just a Howard, you know, rock pop song. It's, it's incredible. And I think it's only like two and a half minutes long. So, and where you had, you know, Story to Heaven, I think it's like six or something like that. And Hotel California, that's one that really, you know, and people can be burnt out as much as they want on it because it's played all the time, but you cannot beat the story that it tells and it paints a, a great picture. You know, the Eagles were fantastic at doing that, are fantastic at doing that. But, um, yeah, that I would say as the Hotel California lyrics are, are up there as one of the big inspirations as far as, you know, that's how you write a song type of situation. Do you write about personal experiences? Do you write about observations? Where do you fall? Like, well, how, where do you get your inspiration? Both, you know, I've, I've written songs about friends, situations with their girlfriends or, uh, you know, the addictions and stuff that they might be going through, whether it's drugs or otherwise. It, it, it goes both ways. I find the songs that tend to be more autobiographical, maybe that they don't, I don't intend them to be, but when I stop and look back at the whole piece, when it's done, it's kind of like, Oh yeah, I guess I was going through that situation at the time. But 
I didn't necessarily sit down to write it like that. The band is Black Moods. The album was Sunshine, released in 2020. What is the history of the band? Uh, well, I grew up in Wheaton, Missouri, which is a small town in the Ozarks. Uh, population, I think now the population is 697. wasn't much bigger than that when I was there. And uh, I lived there for 19 years. I went to the, our, you know, there was 27 in my graduating class, I believe. So really small. It was kind of like, you know, there's more churches than stoplights. There's no stoplights, I guess. <laughs> they just got a street signs a few years ago, so I never knew what street I lived on until I went back to visit. But uh, So I grew up there where, grew up around, you know, like you said, everything from Merle Haggard to CCR, you know, to Van Halen, uh, Zeppelin, all that stuff. But it got to the point to where, you know, you could obviously tell there's not a big budding rock scene in, you know, a small town like that. So uh, I found a, a school out, and I was just going through uh, these towns and or these schools I found in the back of Rolling Stone magazine, and one of them happened to be the Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences in Tempe, Arizona. And I kind of grew up in Missouri, where you had all the seasons. And going to there's another school in Atlanta, and I'm like, well, I think Atlanta still has winter, so let's try <laughs> Phoenix, you know. And I wound up coming out here. There's a funny story behind that too, because I had met the singer of the Jim Blossoms. Uh, a, a year or so before I moved out and he'd said if you're ever in if you're ever in Phoenix come and look me up I met him after a show one night me and the, my band at the time and uh, you know a year went by and I didn't think about it and then I went, when I found out the school was in Tempe that's where the Blossoms were from so this whole thing and I was 19 years old so I was super excited and I thought I'll come out here go to school and I'll find Robin and I can you know finally play guitar for the Jim Blossoms well I came out here and they had been broken up by then, but I did see where Robin was playing an acoustic set on Mill Avenue at the club that they all started in. So I went down there and met him, but I was underage. So they threw me out of the bar, but he had told me, he's like, I have a studio in town. If you want to come intern, you know, come and look me up. Well, they threw me out before his set was over. So I didn't get a chance to meet up with him. Fast forward 10 months later. And, uh, I'm getting ready to move to Nashville to do to go to work at a uh, at a school out there. Uh, I know I'm interning at a studio. I'm sorry. And my last day of school, there was a flyer up on the wall at the, on the bulletin board at school, and it said "Wanted Conservatory Student from, from Missouri, Smoky Van Required." Well, we had gotten him stoned <laughs> when I met him in Missouri, so I knew what he meant by Smoky Van. So I called him up, and turns out he's been looking for me, and I wanted to stay in here and interning at his studio. Well, then, as I started entering there, I started writing more and doing my own demos and playing around Phoenix with different guys and bands, and that's where I met Chico. And then we, we started kind of doing more stuff together, and you know, fast forward a couple of bass players later, we finally meet Jordan, and he, he moved from Ohio to California, so... He was playing in a band in L.A. They had come and opened up for us in Scottsdale. And when we had bass player issues, we knew we wanted him. So we reached out to him, and he joined the band. We were off running. So that's kind of, let me just up to speed. 
Well, and then you guys formed. You guys, you know, started playing. Now, did you? you know, is was your home base always Arizona? Uh, yeah. Once I, I moved. Like I said, I lived in Missouri for 19 years, and then I moved out here. So ever since then, we've been. It's been Tempe, but we haven't been in. Uh, we haven't been in one place for more than we've been on the road for so long. But once COVID hit, that was the, this is the first time we've sat in one place this long. You know, for since 2012, I believe we've been touring consistently. Imagine, you know, over the last year with not being able to tour, how have you guys managed through that? How have you, how have you been able to overcome, you know, being put not and not your, you know, being still and not being able to tour? Well, see, that's the thing. We can't ever sit still and we have our own studio. So we, uh, instead of sitting in Phoenix, and melting all summer because we haven't, like I said, we haven't spent a summer here where it's 120 degrees in so long that we packed our studio up and we moved everything to to the Ozarks. So, uh, so we just stayed there. Well, that, we did that June 1st. So we stayed there and started work on a new record. So we were here from March. Once we were in Utah when everything got canceled. So March, April, May, so 1st of June. We packed up our whole studio and drove back home to where I'm from and set up shop and started working on our second, our, on our new record. But we just actually finished wrapping up this week. Well, a lot of people I know are going to be excited to hear that. What, um, what is the collaborative process for you guys? Um, well, we're, we're kind of, we're like old school. I figure how bands used to be. You know, we pretty much all live together, and uh, so I'll, sometimes I'll come in with a with a demo that's top to bottom, and they all and then they put the you know, Jordan will write his bass part, and I kind of tell them that they can kind of feel out how it's going to go. But a lot of this record, since we've been, like I said, we all went back to actually it's called Monette, Missouri, which is close to where I grew up, and we all stayed there, and we wrote it together. So I would go off in the other room and come up with a riff. But, yeah, so this time it was super co- collaborative. You know, the other, the other records have been, you know, the, the first record I did most of the writing and the second record was kind of half and half. And, but this time we had the luxury of all being at the same place all the time. So it was, it was pretty great. Was there any different about this collaborative process? I mean, obviously you guys moved your studio to Missouri, but, you know, also recording and writing during a pandemic where, you know, you are, like you said, you know, being still, not being able to do the things you want to do. I mean, there's obvious differences, uh, but what were some of the biggest? The, I'd say the biggest one was uh, we get, we – there was no getting away really because the last record we made was in pretty much four, four song stints because we told we were torn so much. We'd be on the road for two months and then we'd have three weeks off. We'd come home or we'd have two weeks off and we'd come home and go right in the studio. And our producer, Johnny case from Chicago, so he flew out here. So we spent the two weeks we had off working on the four songs and we'd get back in the bus take back off, gone for another two or three months, come back, do four more songs. So that's why the Sunshine album took a little over two years to make because the touring was so 
you know, intense. But this time around, when we moved everything to back to Missouri and worked out of there, we were, it was more, you know, I think we did nine songs once or something like that. And so it got a little more stressful, but also the benefit of being back there, we're 10 minutes from the creek and 30 minutes from, you know, Table Rock Lake. So if we, if we started getting any kind of, you know, rider's block or anything, we would just jump in the Jeep and go to the creek and crawdad or swim or whatever. It turned into more of a Mark Twain type of atmosphere, you know? Mm-hmm. Far Which as, came through, I think, on the record. Well, that's my next question. You know, writing and playing during this time, you you, you mentioned, you know, you you also write about personal experiences. You write about observations. How did this moment in time affect your creativity? Well, uh, being back in Missouri, like we were for the summer, had me around, you know, my family uh, and a little more than I'd been in a while, you know, being always being on the road. So, um, you know, I, there's just, my sister's going through some troubles. So that kind of seeped in. I wrote a song, there's a song about her on here. Um, it's, it's just, uh, I don't know. And there's a bounciness to it that, uh, that I think it has more of a, has more of a stones vibe. Cause that's kind of what we were pushing for. It's more of that looseness on this record versus our last album. And where, you know, where there's a bunch where most bands right now, you know, you got Greta Van Fleet and, and stuff like this that are really using the, really riding that Zeppelin thing, which I love very much. And we're huge fans of it. But uh, where those bands are kind of going and taking a lot after Zeppelin, we, we thought nobody's doing anything loose and, and like, you know, nobody's, doing anything with stonesish, <laughs> so we kind of always kind of tend to go in the opposite direction that the other bit that you know that anybody's doing at this point so being in the country uh literally you know camping out and and doing everything that i grew up doing i think really you know sunk in and seeped into the songwriting and the way we recorded it you know well, did you find yourself being a little bit maybe darker on this on this uh, album in terms of lyrical content, just because of the situation surrounding everybody. Yeah, I mean we're not a political band or anything like that, but there's a there's an opening track on the new record that's called "Youth Is Wasted on the Young," and uh, you know just some of the title tracks, and, and that one really, uh, you know, we were I, I think that some politics slipped into that, just you know. And when you hear it, I think you'll get it because it's pretty bombastic and it opens the album. But definitely, I think lyrically, uh, it did, which is kind of a first because we had so much time to reflect on what was going on and all the craziness that was happening. And, and when we're on the road and you're riding, we're, you know, we're in our own little bubble. You know, we, we were out on tour uh, in March whenever we got the call that there was a pandemic and to come home and we had no idea. <laughs> they said, uh, we were in Utah and the last show got canceled on St. Patrick's day. And, uh, we were on our way to it and management calls and says, Hey guys, you know, the rest of the tours canceled, come home. And, uh, 
And if you can, you might grab some hand sanitizer, water, and toilet paper. And we kind of looked at each other like, what the hell are they talking about? And so we were getting gas at the time. And I was, I just said to the guys, I'm going to go over to the grocery store and get some water, I guess. And, and I went in there and it was like, a, the shelves were empty. It was like a sci-fi movie. We were, it was such a, you know, so crazy. So, so that being said, it, you know, we were out on the road and we had no idea that was going on. So, so being in one place, where you know there was tv all the time and and people we were around watch the news we don't even watch the news so uh i think that that had a lot to do with with it lyrically yeah i imagine you know i, I was just thinking what a couple of weeks ago about you know what movie studio is going to put out the movie about the pandemic and i i was, uh, I was saying to myself why would anybody want to go see that and relive it you know, like, like we all lived through it. Like, what do I want to go through all this again and see this for two hours and then walk out of the movie theater all pissed off about what I already went through when I was pissed off about that? Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny you say that, too, because um, when this all went down, we got approached to do a documentary, to be involved in a documentary about how, how it's affected the music business. Uh, because we were, you know, our record was just breaking and we had, you know, three songs in the billboard top 40 and this guy he jeremy's his name simmons great director and he was a friend we're like yeah you know we'll do some interviews and then when he was hanging out with us at the time then sunshine happened to hit 16 that was our first top 20 so he kind of reversed the whole idea of the movie to be around how to have more of a positive spin of how, how the band can be successful how a band was successful during such a trying time and it turned out really well, and we're still, he's still working on it, and uh, it's ready to come out. But we got uh, Sammy Hagar, Michael Anthony's in it, uh, Jim Atkins from Jimmy Eat World, uh, Alice Cooper, um, you know, a, a, a bunch of uh, people that, you know, people going on tour, and uh, and it got sh- sh- cut short, you know. So it's, uh, it's, not all, it's, it's not a sad movie, I don't think, but it's, uh, it's pretty informative about how how it's working and so it's in so we're waiting to shoot the end of the movie for when we can actually play a show <laughs> you know the legit show and and it'll be a, you know kind of an epic comeback type thing what's that like when you're have this successful piece of music this successful album that's resonating with people that's reaching people and then everything gets put on pause well, that's frustrating for sure. Yeah. Uh, we didn't, but we're, again, it goes back to us being in our bubble because nothing really changed for us. Uh, especially when sunshine hit 16, we weren't, we were barely even, I don't even think we were on the road or yeah, we'd already gotten pulled off the road. So not being able to, to play shows when your song is, is, you know, 16 on the charts was really brutal. So, um, that being said, uh, we didn't, we, it's not, I mean, we, believe me, we checked the charts every, every week that they came out. (laughs) It was like Christmas morning every, you know, to see where we were. But, but as far as, uh, changing this, it just drove us more, you know, because we we were like, if we can hit 16, you know, we can make top 10. So we just, it just made us work harder. I imagine too, that being able to work on an album, during this time, you know, kind of packing everything up, going into your 
cave, so to speak, and just recording music and kind of tuning what you can tune out is kind of like a relief in that you're, you, you turn your focus from these crazy times and the, and the frustration of being pulled off the road with this successful album to, all right, let's just go in and let's just cut some tracks and write some music and let's just, let's just do that. That had to be helpful for you guys. Oh, it, it was very therapeutic just because we had a goal set instead of, you know, if we had just came, came back to Phoenix and kind of hung around, and, you know, and our, our, our studio here doesn't have any windows. So that would make it even worse, you know. Uh, but once we decided we were going to pack up and go back, it was, it was just another, we were on a mission, you know, to make a really great record in, his, in really bad times. <laughs> and it, I think we got that accomplished. But it, it helped drive us for sure. Yeah, I, I, and I also have to think too, you know, when you talk about being having to be therapeutic, I also it also can be very inspirational. Like, you know, whenever you hear the finished product of the music, you're always going to know when this was recorded. And you're always going to know that you were able to do this and persevere through a very tough time. It had to be a, a challenging moment with the, you know, the obvious things going on, but also maybe bring the band closer together. Did did that happen? Yeah, I mean, if that's even possible, because we, like said, we're already connected to the hit. But um, it, it did it, it you know, kind of a you know three musketeers type of situation is what we've got because it's us three against everybody else when we're playing live. So, um, but being in the in the basement where we were and uh, and pretty much vacationing together is what it was because we would play, we would work, and then we'd go camp out at the creek for you know, for a while, a few days, and we go back to work. So, um, so being able to go back and kind of get in the country where there's no distractions either, you know, that was the thing too. We couldn't go back there. If we stayed here, they shut everything down. So you couldn't go anywhere, do anything, see any of your friends just because of the risk. And we'd all, we'd already been together. So we'd been quarantined, you know, we'd, we'd always go, from the bus to the stage and then back to the bus. So uh, I think it was the last day of driving or something like that. So we just thought, hell, we're always together with this go quarantine in Missouri. And, and where I'm from, it's such a small town. I think they've been quarantining since the 30s. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I, I've often uh, said that I'm, I'm going to still social distance even when things get back to normal, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't mind the mask thing because sometimes when you're out, it's a, you want to keep to yourself anyway. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like, you know, like I said, you know, you, you had to pause everything. Now you've got this new album. Where does Black Moods go from here? You know, everything is still in a wait-and-see approach and in unknown. A lot of bands have put a pause on release dates for their albums. What are your thoughts on that? Are you, are you still going ahead with the schedule, with whatever it is, are you considering maybe holding on to this a little longer before you release it until you know what happens? Yeah, we're not putting anything out just yet because we just released the video for Home, which is the last song on the Sunshine record. So we just put the video out and uh, 
and so and because our record is not final or done anything Johnny just we finished wrapping up here Saturday last Saturday I guess and uh, so he's back just doing some mixes right now and uh, so we're still working another you know month or two before the artwork and everything's done so we'll probably you know working at maybe putting a new single out in the summer so we're not in any rush for sure yeah, I mean, all you have right now is time. So you know, before you, yeah. you make any decisions on things, I, I have a, I have to feel that things will sort themselves out, right? I mean, at some point, you know, people are going to get vaccinated. You know, the numbers are going down right now. Hopefully, they continue. Let's keep our fingers crossed. The weather will get better eventually, and hopefully, maybe by the end of summer, early fall shows are starting to happen again i don't know yeah you know we were supposed to have one in april uh at a festival in florida i think it was us and lifehouse and a few other bands but that got i think that's getting pulled so our next i think our next show is july isn't that a festival and then october is um is one in sacramento with my chemical romance and metallica so the October one they're they're holding on to and they think is going to de- definitely happen, but or anything before that, it's all up in the air. And as far as you know, you mentioned the music business, and you mentioned you know the the beginnings of the documentary that you were going to be in had more of a I don't want to say negative tone, but more of a realistic tone of what things are like for a lot of bands and a lot of musicians. It turned out to be a positive. I can't wait to see it. But when you think about what you're doing and how you've been on the road for so long. Now you had a break, a forced break to put out this music. Do you feel rock and roll is, is on the verge of a resurgence? Yeah. Well, that's the thing too. Um, you've always heard everybody says like rock is rock and roll is dead. They've been saying that shit since, uh, you know, since it started in the '60s, they didn't. You know, they thought I, you watch all these old, uh, or not old, but any of the Beatles documentaries, any of that. A lot of the questions were, uh, you know, what are you going to do when this is over? This can't last forever. You know, it's a fad, and then that goes on, and the Doors come out. Same thing with that. You know, your rock is dead, and then '70s, even when disco came in, rock is dead, and there came back, and then the, the '80s came, and you know, Guns and Roses, and you know, because when the new wave hit after after disco and all that stuff, they're like, "Oh, rock is dead." It's new wave, and then after that, you get Guns and Roses, and then then uh, then the hair metal clogs the thing, <laughs> clogs the artery of you know the business, and then here comes Nirvana, and then it goes again, and then it goes through the nineties, and then you know the boy bands pick up, and then you know, and then that shit goes away, and then, and then here you are now with. You got bands like Greta and uh, Dirty Honey and uh, uh, Blue Stones and stuff like this that uh, uh, Bad Flower that are that are you know rock bands. Kings of Leon, those guys have been carrying through the Killers. So um, you know it always. I think it there's a cycle. There's a, it's always the trend is where um, eventually people get tired of just hearing somebody sing to a computer, you know, or you know fake beats. You know, it, I think guitars, drums, and bass will always pull through three guys that actually make music and having chemistry on stage is a lot more entertaining to me than you know one girl lip syncing with a bunch of dancers behind her 
even though it's nice to look at, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I come from the band, uh, I'm a rock and roll fan. I'm a music fan. So it's not just, I don't like, like that kind of stuff. It's just, you feel more whenever you're watching a band like the killers or, uh, you know, or Foo Fighters, Kings of Leon, or they have that chemistry together, and they put out those passionate songs. You know, we just had the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations come out today, and of course, everyone's talking about who's not on the list, and why isn't this band or this artist in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and there's people that are not right. that that shouldn't be on there, and I'm at the point now where, who cares what the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame does. Like, they do this every year, and people get fired up, and people voice their opinions, and then it quiet, you know, it gets quiet again, and then they do it again. It's the same cycle. Rock and roll really has never been accepted by the mainstream. It never has been, you know, the, the, you know, the, the genre that's put up on a pedestal. We all look back, and we talk about the influences of the Beatles and the Stones and CCR and Zeppelin, and that's great. But even those bands during their beginnings and during the height of their popularity will were still you know you know snubbed by the mainstream, right? You know, I mean, oh yeah, you know. So so I I was talking to to Blake Allard from the band Joyous Wolf, and he said something. Oh really, yeah, I love it. Yeah, he said something really interesting. He's like, I don't care, you know, what's happening, you know, outside of what we're doing. If we make good music people will find us and that's really what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree with you on that completely because, uh, you know, what matters is what, what it means to you. You know, I've never, uh, Rolling Stone panned every Zeppelin record that came out, you know, and, and that's one thing that should be a lesson learned right there. Right. right. Absolutely. <laughs> everything. That's, I mean, you don't even say anymore. It's like you got a magazine that's so big and, and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, they, they know they were wrong now. <laughs> and they probably admit it to it. It's like, how did they not, how did they trash every one of those records? And they're, they're great. Uh, so, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's to each of their, each of their own. But, uh, yeah, that's the same with, with us. We don't, we don't, we never hopped on any trends. We've been, we've been, you know, riding the same river for a while, you know, since we started, we always just, play what felt good and what we believed in nothing else we weren't doing anything we never changed our style because you know new metal was in so it's oh we got to be a new metal band and then change it back to uh you know whatever uh i I can't even tell you i can't name another genre that you know anything we never had uh we never went through the turntable stage where we had a dj scratching in our songs we never did that then you know we were we're inspired by the like, you know, police, cream, Jimi Hendrix experience, the James Gang, these badass three piece rock and roll bands that just go out there and play as hard as they can. Yeah, I, I don't know why we think that we need approval from places like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or if we need a band to play the Super Bowl. It's never been about that for me. I, you know, it's never been about the popularity, the mass popularity. If you, if you want to go by that idea where everybody loves something that you love, well, an artist like Britney Spears is very popular. She sells millions of albums. That doesn't mean her music's the best, right? doesn't mean the, her music right. is the greatest. Sure, people like it. She has her fans. But 
just you know it, it, whether you sell 50 million records or 50,000 or 5,000 whatever the case is it doesn't that doesn't that should never define what is great and it should never be defined by what's accepted by the mainstream you know review or the mainstream critics that what's good what's good is what's good to you and what's good to the individual and there's enough individuals out there that yeah maybe rock and roll is kind of taking a back seat with relevancy but it's still thriving there's still new bands coming out every day putting music on YouTube or streaming services that are really good that are really awesome so that should give everybody hope that rock and roll is never going to die rock and roll is always going to be around and does it matter if it if it's played in arenas or does it ma- or, or clubs? It, it, as long as it's being played, that's all. It's, it's that's the most important thing. Man, Fender guitars had their best year ever this year, last year. You know, for their sales, so that tells you something. You know, people are picking up guitars, they're playing them. It's a thing. It's still a deal. You know, it's not. That's even more. That should say even more that the fact that they're that they had the best year ever and. When they they started in the fifties, you know mm-hmm. that's crazy. So the people are still in the playing guitar, whether it's rock and roll or bluegrass or country or or anything else. Yeah, I kind of like the fact that rock and roll isn't accepted by the mainstream. You know, I, I kind of like being in the club of rock fans or, or you know in the rock and roll community that kind of you know, has has people thumb their nose at us. That's that's kind of that's rock and roll right there, right? That is rock and roll. Oh, so I was going to say that is, yeah, that, that's what it, I think that's what it was built on, you yeah. know? The unacceptance of, uh, of the, uh, I don't know. Of, of the, the masses. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's the thing about the Beatles and the Stones, that was like, parents weren't supposed to like, especially the Stones, oh my gosh. I just watched Crossfire Hurricane and that, you know, their publicist was so smart, they just went the other way where the Beatles were, you know, kind of guys next door with the stones are the guys that are going to rob your house. <laughs> you know? So they're like, I think one of his lines is, would you let one of the headlines in the paper was, would you let your daughter or sister, would you let your sister date her own stone? And that, you know, they pointed that stuff themselves and it was just, it was supposed to be about rebellion. That's what rock and roll was and is. In a sense. Yeah. And I've said, I this, think, I've said what do this, I know? Yeah. I've said this <laughs> count, countless times on this podcast that, you know, with the youth and the young kids being at home, e-learning, there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of angst, and the time is ripe for rock and roll to thrive again. And because rock and roll needs that angst, that needs that frustration to really be what it's about. And there's yeah. nothing. If if something good comes out of this pandemic, I think it is the resurgence of rock and roll. I think it's it's right on the horizon. Yeah, I'm with you. I hope so because, well, I think once this thing lets up, uh, everybody's just so itching to be out and about again and see like, you know, that's the one thing I've seen on social media uh, the most is uh, people joking around what they would give, you know, pay for an overpriced beer at a rock concert. (laughs) So I think it's going to, I think it'll be good when it comes back around. Well, Josh, I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. This has been a blast. I, I am so happy that you did this uh, for the Hook Rocks. Big fan of the band. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and looking forward to the new music, man. I, I can't wait. I'll get it to you as soon as it's done.
That's awesome. I, I appreciate it. All right, brother. You take care. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Well, everybody, that's Josh Kennedy from the band The Black Moods. I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy, and we will talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.